Y'all are all in a good mood today, aren't you? Amen. That's right. Still coming in. Come on in. Um, if you're a visitor here today, we welcome you and we invite you to fill out a Connect card so that we'll be able to uh, stay connected with you. They're in the rack behind the, by the hymnals. And um, our giving is, is you go to uh, Cypress Street Church, give, or you know, write your check, drop it in the box back there, any way you're used to giving. Uh, we have singing at the guest house today at 3. Uh, Bible study this Wednesday at 6.30 with Brother Carvin Adams. Next Sunday, Brother Ray will be back. Um, he's got getting some much needed rest, I hope. Well, really, he's hunting, I think. But um, <laughs> we miss him. Um, and on Wednesday, November the 16th, Thanksgiving potluck luck, meal and devotion with Pastor Ray. November the 20th, worship service with Pastor Ray. And no Wednesday activities on Thanksgiving family. Thanksgiving, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. That, that will be family time. Uh, let's uh, open our service this morning with prayer. And I just ask you to stand in um, reverence to our Heavenly Father. He's so good to us. Um, <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, for the freedom that we have to uh, be able to come worship you this morning. Just getting back from a mission trip just opened my eyes to so many things. But I just realized, Lord, that that here there are no high walls. There's no there's no bobbed wire fence. There's no opening the gate to come into church because we can just drive up and walk in. We have it so so fortunate, Lord, and there's so many others out there that are so not as blessed as we are. Just help us to realize, Lord, just how fortunate we are. We invite you to our church service, Lord. In, come in and fill our hearts. Fill, our, fill the pastor that's bringing our message today. Just anoint him, Lord, with the Holy Spirit and, and be over our church service today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Something this week that you may be seated. I read something this week that I wanted to share with you. Um, if I can find it. I'm sorry, I knew this would happen. Uh, did you know that an oyster has not been wounded, that has not been wounded in any way, does not produce pearls? A pearl is a healed wound. Pearls are a product of pain, the result of a foreign or unwanted substance entering the oyster, such as a parasite or a grain of sand. The inside of the oyster shell is a shiny substance called nacre. When the grain of sand enters the nacre 
Cells go to work and cover that grain of sand with layers and more layers to protect the defenseless body from the oyster. As a result, a beautiful pearl is formed. The more pearls, the more valuable. God never allows pain without purpose. What if your greatest ministry to others comes out of your greatest hurt? The hard things that we may be going through now are really nothing in comparison to the glory that God will be re revealed in us later. Romans 8, 17 and through 18. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now let's join in in our singing. I sure appreciate the guitar. I don't know how much y'all do, but I really appreciate it. So let's join in, clear hearts, and, and sing praises to God this morning. Well, good morning. It's a new month, November, and so let's sing happy birthday and happy anniversary to our church family that have celebrations in uh, November. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Do anniversary. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary. God bless you. Happy anniversary to you. All right, if you're able to stand as we continue to worship in song. Blessed be the name. Bye. 
Continue to stand. Let's sing Revive Us Again. and Jesus' blood and righteousness.
my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest name, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone. Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, cornerstone, we may. In the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. I stand on cornerstone, we face wrong in the Savior's love. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through.
in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. Amen. You may be seated. Children, it's time to go to Children's Church. Just looking around, we have several people out today. Um, I know the stomach bugs going around, the flu's going around. So um, just look around, and if you see somebody, just give them a text or, you know, just let them know we missed them because it means so much when you're out and somebody says, "Hey, I missed you." Um, also, Carrie wanted me to announce that there are uh, 111 boxes in for the children and um, and counting so more are coming in she they do such a good job also for the little guatemalan orphan that we took up money for we um we received a, a thousand 108 for him he needed a thousand we got a little more this is such a given church we're small but we do care. Um, I have to tell you, I know James told the story Wednesday night about our neighbor. Uh, he come in, I don't know, telling about, she was getting ready to go to France, so she had her money all in her little in her envelope. And she came over the house for something. And, she, and he came home and he was telling about the orphan and about how we had raised... I think 800 and something, Eight, and we needed, I don't do math well in my head, but he said, we need 110 more dollars to have 1,000. And she said, um, I saw her. She took out $10 and laid it on the bar and hurried out the door. And she said, <laughs> the next day he come home and he said, she said, James, come over here. He went over and she said, the Lord just whipped me last night. He just worked on me good. She said, I can't go to France and not give that extra hundred. So she had so she generously gave a hundred and ten before she left. But she's telling me before she left, she said, God already gave it back to me. That's just the way he is. He is so good to us. Brother Carvin, you just don't know how much we appreciate and love you. Um, thank you so much for filling our our pulpit. And thank you for the sermon that you're going to bring us. Oh, I forgot the I forgot all the prayer requests. But if you'll just look in your bulletin, thank you. Thank you, Donna, for sharing with us this morning what God is doing in the lives of so many people. You go ahead and get your Bibles and turn with me to Romans, the third chapter. 
I will get there. It may take me 10 minutes to do so because I have a, trying to tie together the background of uh, Halloween. Kids of all ages enjoyed this last Monday night. Halloween really means the Holy Eve or the Eve of. Uh, do you realize how it got started? And you will realize in a few moments the connection between that date, October the 31st, and also our text today. The ancient Celts, who were the ancestors of the Scottish and the Irish people, believed that the spirits of the dead come out and roam around on October the 31st. That was their belief. That was, of course, the evening before November the 1st, which for the Catholics was All Saints Day. In Ecuador, on November the 1st, we observed how many people went to the graveyards and decorated the graves of their family members. Sometimes they would even leave food there called masipan to uh, feed the spirits of their ancestors, still an important day in the lives of uh, many Catholics. But the uh, Celts, in order to protect themselves from these evil spirits that they thought roamed around some thousand years ago, they would offer animal and human sacrifices. They would bob for apples. They believed that brought them good uh, luck. I remember doing that as a kid. And to my knowledge, I never received any good luck from it. I always got a mouthful of water and a wet head, but uh, nevertheless, it was a lot of fun. But for the Celts, they were trying to get good luck. They uh, would also dress, dress up in costumes to try to disguise themselves from the evil spirits. And then they would leave food outside their doors of their houses for the spirits to eat on, and that's how we get trick-or-treat today. So when the early Irish immigrants came to this country in the 1800s, they, they brought a lot of these superstitious beliefs with them. But October 1st or 31st is also a very important date for us as Christians because on that evening, in 1517, a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther, after studying the book of Romans, he discovered that uh, some of the writings of Romans didn't agree with some of the beliefs of the Catholic Church. So he wrote out 95, might say, grievances or disagreements that the Roman Catholic Church had with the Bible, sometimes just called his thesis. And on October the 31st, 1517, he nailed those theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. This became a major step in what led to the birth of the Reformation movement, which we are a part of today. He was not trying to start a new denomination or a new church but rather he was trying to reform the Catholic Church back to the New Testament standards. I want to just share four of those beliefs with you today and then we'll get into our text. The first thing that he discovered from the book of Romans is that salvation is freely offered through faith in Jesus Christ 
not by our works. Romans 3.22 says righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, we cannot obtain our salvation through our works or by being good enough for none of us are good enough. And Luther had a problem with that teaching that you can be saved by your good works or you can earn your salvation. Ever the second thing that was really dominant in his thinking, and that is the Bible, not man, not the Pope, is the final authority on how we live. In other words, we believe, as Martin Luther did, that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And it, it is what we call in the Church of God our creed that determines how we live and how we believe. Thirdly, he said that uh, he opposed the excessive spending of money to build elaborate, beautiful cathedrals in the church while the common people were living in poverty. When I was living in uh, Quito, Ecuador, I visited one church there in the city that claims to be the richest church in Latin America. It's called the La Compania. Construction started in the 1600s. After 160 years, it was finally completed. That's how elaborate it is. They estimate there are seven tons of gold in the altars. The main altar is uh, higher than the peak of this cathedral here, and it is full of gold, 23 carat gold, not 10 or 12 or 14 like we wear in our jewelry. Last time I visited that uh, cathedral, uh, I was back for a, a trip. I can't remember if I was teaching the seminary or what I was doing. I went to visit it again. You know what they were doing? Putting new gold leaf over the old gold at the expense of the people of Ecuador, not the church. A beautiful facility. I admire the architecture. But as I was walking out the door and on the steps of that church that has seven tons of gold and a painting that's been appraised at $10 million, an Indian woman was there begging unable to even get enough food to eat. There's a fourth thing that really got Martin Luther's attention. He believed in the priesthood of all believers, meaning that all of us, through the blood of Jesus Christ, can go into God's presence before his throne and plea our case or confess our sins. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a pastor or a deacon in the church or an elder. We can go directly into the presence of Jesus Christ. And after Luther named or nailed those 95 theses on the, the door, he was called, of course, before his superiors and said, recant, recant. He says, unless you can show me in Scripture that I am wrong, I will not recant, and here I stand. If you get a chance, you ought to watch the movie. There are several movies that depict this, and in a, a book, Here I Stand, also read it. Luther was then excommunicated from the Catholic Church. A bounty was placed on his head, dead or alive. And it was only through the mercy of God that a few of his friends hid him out for years as he began to write uh, commentaries and the such. 
Our text today is what ignited Luther's heart. It gave him a passion to live according to what the Bible teaches. And in this ch third chapter in verse 1, Paul asked a question. He says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? In other words, he's, he's asking, can a Jew have a right relationship with God? Just because he's born a Jew or just because he is a descendant of Father Abraham. I think that is a very important question. In fact, he spends chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6 trying to lay out his reasoning that none of us are right with God because of what culture we belong to or what name is written down in some book. Because many people of his day, in fact, the majority of the Jews believe that since they were descendants of Abraham, they were much better than the Jew, uh, Gentiles and therefore automatically were right with God. I fear that many of us today in our culture and in many cultures of the world also have this concept that I'm right with God because my parents were Christians I was brought up in a Christian home. I attended such and such church. My parents were, were charter members in such and such church. But Paul says that's, that's not right. Look at verses 9 through 12 with me. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? We, meaning the Jews, not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then in the rest of 3, 4, 5, and 6 of Romans, Paul begins to talk about his reasoning as to why none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. And the first thing that he talks about is the problem we all face. Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I read a cartoon but yet there's a lot of truth in it. A pastor was walking down the sidewalk and saw some little boys over there circling a, a stray dog. He was concerned that they may be trying to harm it, so he walked over. He says, what are you boys doing? And one of the boys talk, uh, spoke up and said, uh, this dog's a stray, doesn't have an owner, and, and all of us want to take it home as our own pet, but we can't determine how to choose who gets the dog. So one of the little boys had suggested, we'll give it to the person who tells the biggest lie. Well, of course, the pastor said, no, that, you can't do that. He said, uh, lying is a sin. Don't you realize that? He said, well, well, when I was your age, I never told a lie. There was some silence for a while, and the pastor thought he had really taught these boys a lesson. And then one of them said, well, give it to him. He's the biggest liar here. The point is, it doesn't matter who you are. Whether you're raised in a 
pastor's home as I was, long lineage of Christian leaders, whether you are a pastor, a missionary, married to a pastor or missionary, member of a church all of your life thus far, no one is without sin. At some time in our lives, we have all committed sin when we reach the age of accountability, knowing right from wrong. And all of us are in the need to be justified in order to be right with God. And that word justified is a long word, and sometimes we have a problem with the interpretation, but it means an act of God. An act of God in declaring a sinful person righteous, for all have sinned. It's not the same as being forgiven. Forgiven ends or begins the process, but it's different in some respect. Let me try to illustrate Suppose someone steals your car. He's uh, caught, taken before the judge, found guilty of uh, stealing, and is sentenced to prison or to some other uh, uh, pay a fine or whatever. If you forgive that person, that, that's fine. But that thief is still guilty of the crime he committed and still must pay the penalty of that crime unless the judicial system says, no, we will not charge you with it. That person is then would be considered justified for in the eyes of the court, he stands as one who had never committed crime in the beginning. So the person is justified, not only is forgiven, but the guilt of our sins, the penalty for disobedience to God is removed just if we had never sinned in the beginning. Paul says, Jews and Greeks alike have all sinned, deserving to be punished, deserving to actually experience the wrath of God for the wages of sin is death, he says in Romans 6.23. So Paul is just trying to tell these Jews and to us today as Gentiles, all of us are in need of being justified or forgiven of our sins. A second thing that he brings out is the only provision for our justification and he talks about it in chapter 3, verse 24. He said, justified freely by his grace. God's grace, not ours. And grace is a gift that is not deserved. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption. And redemption is a word used to buy the freedom of someone. To set them free, a prisoner. And this redemption, he says came by Christ Jesus. Now the people in Martin Luther's day before the Reformation were taught that the only way you could be judged, the only way that you could be forgiven, the only way you can get an ancestor out of purgatory was to pay money to the church. That was their building fund. In fact, they would teach that uh, everyone who dies goes into purgatory and the only way you can get that person out of purgatory is making a donation to the church. I found in my research when I was, before I wrote a book on my ancestors, that uh, one of my grandfathers, the king of England, 
paid a large amount of money to the Catholic Church, was the Anglican Church then, uh, to get his family out of purgatory, himself, his wife, and him, his children. I have my doubts that he made it, knowing what his life was like. But the people did not understand that God offers grace freely to them. And it comes as we ask forgiveness of our sins and accept Jesus Christ, who's already purchased us, made it available to be free from the bondage of sin. Notice the price that Paul speaks about for our justification. Point three. Martin Luther was brought up in a church that believed that the only way to be worthy of God's love and escape his wrath was to join the church as a monk. Uh, before he became a monk, he was studying law at a university. And one day he was walking to class and a bolt of lightning struck a tree right beside where he was walking. And that scared Luther so bad. He said, God, if you'll spare my life, I'll become a monk. I will no longer pursue uh, a degree in uh, law. In fact, he wrote these words, and I quote, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I, it may be said that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, I would have killed myself with vigils, prayers, readings, and other work. End of quote. In fact, Luther was trying to earn the mercy of God. He would sleep on a cold floor in the wintertime rather than in his bed. He would go days without food. And it became known in the monastery that if he continues, he will die. So you know what they did to punish him? Read the book of Romans. Isn't that ironic? His punishment is what led him to the light that started the Reformation movement. You see, our justification cost us nothing according to Romans 3, 24. He says, justified freely by his grace. But notice what? It cost Jesus Christ. It cost him his life. Romans 3, 25 says, God presented him, meaning Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement, meaning a, a sacrifice that would turn God's wrath away from us, take away our sins. In other words, Jesus took our punishment upon himself. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says it this way. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to try to get our lives straightened out. He took the initiative. He's the one that went to the cross and paid the price for our justification. But how do we obtain it? Look at point number four. The prerequisite to receiving our justification is faith in Jesus Christ. Not only 
knowing that he is the Son of God who died for us, but faith to accept him into our lives. Romans 3.22 This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then in verse 30, Since there is only one God who will justify the, uh, the circumcised by faith, and circumcised is referred to the Jews, and the uncircumcised, which refers to Gentiles, through that same faith. So it doesn't matter if we're Jew or Gentile, or what culture, being from the United States or Guatemala, Peru, or what other country, we are all justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.25, Paul writes, a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. 3.26, the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And then 3.28, a man is justified by faith. Isn't it exciting that Jesus paid the price for us? We could have never paid it. All the gold in the La Compania church, seven tons would never purchase one person from the bondage of Satan and spare that person from the wrath of God. It took only the blood of Jesus Christ whereby we put our faith in him and him alone and then by faith follow him day by day. What are the products? What are the results of this justification? And, and Paul names some of them here, but let me just quickly leave them with you. A, peace with God. Romans 5, 1. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. First prayer I was ever learned or taught to pray was now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I had peace after I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I knew if I did not make it through the night, I would see him face to face. Luther wrote about his search for peace. It's quite lengthy. I wish I could have put this in the bulletin, but listen closely to what he writes. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but one expression, the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. See, all he thought about was the wrath, that side of God. He goes on. My situation was that. Although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would satisfy him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. And there I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise, end of quote. And I would submit to you, that's when he received his salvation.
although he'd been a monk many years before that. You see, peace cannot be obtained by our own righteousness. Paul's already said, Jew and Gentile alike are sinful. Peace cannot be purchased by our good works as some have taught in the past. If that were the case, how would we ever know I'm good enough? I've worked hard enough now to obtain the mercy and grace of God and to be spared the wrath of God. Peace can only be secured as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who paid for our redemption from Satan. As I thought about this sermon and as, as I was working, I started to stop right there because just to have the peace that you're right with God, for me is sufficient. That's enough to know that I can lay down tonight and not fear death or fear tomorrow. But I want to quickly just share with you some other products of this, of this justification that Paul spoke of. Item B, grace from God, Romans 5.2. We have gained access by faith into this grace. And grace could be the favor. Favor we don't deserve, a free gift, acceptance of God, in which we now stand. Do you understand what Paul's saying? He is saying that when Christ died on the cross, and he said, it is finished, the wall in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place, and the most holy place was the throne room of God, the very presence of God. That wall was shattered. And now anybody, through the blood of Jesus Christ, could go into the very presence of God. You no longer had to go through a priest in Judaism or a priest in Catholicism. You could go directly to God. Not that we deserve that right. Not that we can purchase it or earn it. But it was paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. Access to God's throne. Another product is item C, the ability to enjoy or experience joy in all circumstances. This one may be the hardest for some of us to grasp. Romans 3, 2 and or 5, 2 and 3. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Think about that for a moment. When's the last time you said, praise the Lord, I've got a flat on my car? Or I've got this disease and now I'll have to take medication the rest of my life. I'll be honest with you, I've never said that. Never heard anyone else say it. James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. See, you just celebrate when things are going good. <laughs> it could have been worse. Could have been worse. I don't understand Paul or James saying that we are to rejoice because of the difficulty, the suffering, the trials, the tribulation. But they go on and explain that we rejoice of what those things can accomplish in our lives and produce. In fact, in Romans 5.3, he says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance or patience. That's that ability to keep going on 
When Satan is saying, God doesn't care about you. When other people are saying, well, you deserve what you're getting. No. James says the testing of your faith develops perseverance, that ability to keep going on regardless of how hard it is because we know that one day it will be better. He also says suffering produces character in 5-4 or experience. It means the testing of our faith. I don't know of anything that's more than going through a very difficult time in your life. Anyone can live the Christian life when they've got plenty of money, good health, things are going their way, no trials, no tribulations, very little temptations in life, but let something disastrous hit them. As Paul went through, that will determine the true character or the nature of their relationship with God. Either they will give up or they will persevere and show the world. Yes, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am suffering, but better days are coming. There's a third thing he says it will produce, and that is hope in verses 4 and 5. And he says that hope does not disappoint us. In other words, we have the assurance by reading the rest of the Bible, we win. We win. Yes, Satan's still strong. Yes, he's going to attack you on a regular basis. But the Holy Spirit that lives in our hearts is stronger and more powerful and can enable us to have the assurance that I have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Three more products of justification is God's love through his Holy Spirit. Five, five. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I admit I had a little bit of a problem with this and as I was preparing this sermon. Because the first thing that came to my mind is, well, doesn't God love everybody? Absolutely. That's his nature. That's who he is. He loves everybody, even sinners, but he hates the sin that they may be committing. But it is only those who have been justified. Only those who have a right relationship with God will benefit and profit from God's love. See, hell will be full of people God loves. But since they never accepted it, they did not benefit from it. That's a product of being justified. Item E, the assurance of eternal life. Romans 5, 9. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? I admit, when I first got saved at the age of eight, my motive, first of all, I don't want God to punish me. That was probably my number one motive, more so than my love for God. I wanted to escape the wrath of God. I believe in the wrath of God. I know we don't hear it preached very often. But it has to be balanced with his love, his mercy, and grace. That all of us one day will stand before him and give an account of everything we've ever done. We can have the assurance to be saved from that wrath. And then lastly, I know you're saying, thank God. Reconciliation with God, and this is really what it comes down to. Chapter 5, 10 and 11. We were reconciled to him 
through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God died for us when we were still in our sins. When we were separated from him. As some translations, when we were enemies of him, he died, Jesus died, to reconcile us to God the Father so that we may have eternal life. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads this morning and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to your heart. Do you have the assurance of a right relationship with God knowing that you have confessed your sins to him he has forgiven you because scripture says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness in other words he will impute his righteousness to us so that we will be right with God the Father. Do you have that assurance this morning? Do you have the assurance that when you lay down tonight that if you were to leave this earth that you would immediately go into God's presence not fearful of his wrath but be celebrated by seeing Jesus. Every person can have that assurance. There's no doubt for us to have doubt about our salvation or about our relationship with God. Everything's been done that needs to be done. It's, it's now up to us. What will you do with it? What will you do with it? I realize that most, possibly everyone here this morning has at some time in your life already asked Jesus Christ to forgive you? You put your faith in Christ as your Savior and Lord, but there may be something in your life that's keeping you from being completely the Lord's. There's so many things battling for first place in our hearts, and usually it's our own self. We're pretty independent people. We want to control our lives. We can to a degree. God wants to control it. As we stand to sing just a few verses of an invitation, if you have any need that you'd like to pray about and you'd like to pray by yourself, you can come to the, these front pews up here. But if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'm going to ask that you come to the altar so I'll know it. You're not, go, you're not going to confess your sins to me. You don't even have to tell me what uh, necessarily going on in your life. But for something amiss in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you can get it settled completely this morning. Let us stand as we sing.
Thank you, Brother Carvin. Isn't it a wonderful God that lets us know that we can be assured that he lives in our hearts 
and this is not the finishing finishing place that we'll all end up if we're if we're truly his. Um, I was reminded of a song um, while he was saying something about prayers. My, I grew up listening to four, you know, old, uh, old four-part harmony my dad would listen on the stereo all the time. And one of them was, I think it was the Imperials, and he sang, uh, either way, I'm a winner. He said he put his head down to pray at night, and he'd say, if you come before I before I wake, either way, I'm a winner. I've got you now, you'll be with me now, and I'll be with you later. So that's a wonderful promise. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you again for the freedom to come to worship you. Thank you for your love, Lord. Go with us through the week and help us to be servants of yours. We ask this in your name. Amen.